Hey, what's up? This is Gloria, and this is Women's Only. So, y'all remember that yay lyric? I never understood Planned Parenthood because I never met nobody planning to be a parent in the hood. <laughs> so, obviously, we're going to be talking about Planned Parenthood if that didn't give you a clue. Now, for those of you who don't know, Planned Parenthood is basically an organization that provides reproductive health care, sex education, and information. They have well over 600 health centers across the nation. So some of the things that they do include abortion services and referrals, birth control, emergency contraception access. So your plan B's and your birth control pills, everything in between. Um, general health care, HIV services, LGBT services, which would include hormone therapy for transgender patients. Um, they also provide services for men's health, which include cancer, fertility, sexual dysfunction, and regular routine checkups, sexual and reproductive health education, pregnancy testing and services, STD testing, treatment and vaccines, and women's services, which include pelvic exams and cancer screens. So overall, very um, beneficial for the community, provide a lot of access and opportunity, um, you know, for people who don't necessarily have access to certain medical facilities in their area. So how exactly is Planned Parenthood funded? They use Title X funding, which is a source of federal grants that's dedicated to family planning. So there's a lot of hoopla about people paying for abortions and who's paying for it. If it's paid by Planned Parenthood, who's actually funding it? Now, specifically um, in cases of rape, incest, or emergency situations to save a mother's life, Planned Parenthood is able to use federal funds. They also use federal funds to provide critical health services, which would include the annual wellness exam, cancer screenings, contraception, and they basically support the further study of STDs and STIs. Contrary to popular belief, the federal funds do tend to cover things that are supported by the general population. Um, and of course, like I mentioned in a previous episode, Planned Parenthood can also receive private funding. And they decide what they want to do with those funds, which would include covering abortion procedures and things of that nature. What about the past? You can't really discuss Planned Parenthood without talking about Margaret Sanger. So this lady was a nurse, an educator, and the founder of the organization. She was inspired by her mom who had seven miscarriages and her personal experience as a nurse when she used to work on the Lower East Side of New York. She also ended up going over to Europe and studied birth control methods over there. Basically at the time, the US made contraceptive methods illegal so there wasn't a lot of education or studies that was easily accessible. Now, Sis decided to spice things up and get things moving. So on October 16th of 1916, she ends up opening the first birth control clinic. It was located in Brownsville, Brooklyn, and she did this with her sister Ethel Byrne and activist Fania Mendel. So about nine to 10 days later, they end up being raided and shut down by the feds and they were charged with, I don't even know if I can like 
this is dumb, basically. That's what I really want to say. They were charged with violating the Anti-Obscenity Comstock Act of 1873 because they were sharing birth control info. I don't know how reproductive sexual health education is obscene, but then again, I wasn't born back in the 1800s or the early 1900s, so who am I? But yeah, basically they got charged for being obscene in the community. Now, Sanger said these charges were bogus and she refused to pay the fine that she was basically given for being obscene. So she ended up spending 30 days in jail and she took that as an opportunity to educate her fellow inmates about birth control. So that mission was not stopping. She was going to make sure that everybody knew about birth control and how beneficial it is. Now, once them 30 days was over and she was released, she started to travel and she went all around the country spreading her message and basically leading the birth control movement. So in 1923, she ends up opening up the Birth Control Clinic Research Bureau. It's located in Manhattan and it basically provides birth control devices to women and also collects stats about its safety and long-term effectiveness. So, you know, sis was doing her research on the people. She also incorporates the American Birth Control League in 1921 and the Birth Control Federation of America in 1939. These two basically merge and that's what becomes Planned Parenthood in 1942. Now, just to give you an idea of the climate at the time, 1936, to backtrack a little bit, doctor prescribed birth control was actually legalized. So that included things like condoms and diaphragms. Now, diaphragms were also referred to back in the day as womb veils. I don't know how attractive that sounds. Like, hold on, babe. Let me make sure my womb veil is all right. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> but I guess they wanted to make it real cute. But yeah, what a crazy time. Imagine being born in the 1920s. Like, what is birth control? All you know is raw. What a time. What a time to be alive. So also keep in mind, this is like the World War II era. So a lot of health center operations ended up shutting down because most of the volunteers were involved with the war in the 1940s. So with time, things start to get back to normal a little bit. And in 1948, Planned Parenthood actually ends up awarding a grant. Now, this grant was given to John Rock and Gregory Pincus. The purpose was basically for them to look into a birth control pill, do some research about it. Now, this is when you hear some of the discrepancies about her history. This grant ends up turning into the Puerto Rico pill trials. That happened in 1956. Now, just to preface or preface whatever way you say the word or understand it, the research is associated to Planned Parenthood and Margaret Sanger because she was a founder. They supported this research monetarily. However, at the time, ethics for research weren't nowhere near what we see today. And a lot of trials like this prompted ethics committees and people to start regulating the field. So 
I'm not supporting or refuting claims about homegirl, but I will say that this research was headed by John Rock and Gregory Pincus. Nowhere do I see that Margaret Sanger was pulling the strings specifically in Puerto Rico, but you never really know, right? So I just wanted to make that little commentary. Basically, the Puerto Rico pill trials in 1956 happened after successful preliminary trials in Boston, which happened between 1954 and 1955. Now, they wanted to do a large-scale trial, but because of the way the U.S. was at the time in reference to birth control, they decided they were going to do it in Puerto Rico. Now, the testing was done without informed consent, which, again, is absolutely crazy if it happened now but at the time it was something that was relatively normal people was just giving people stuff and conducting studies and people didn't even know they was a part of the trial so again the test was conducted without informed consent so these women were basically told that they were taking a drug that prevented pregnancy but they were never told that it was a clinical trial or that it was experimental they weren't even told about possible side effects that could be harmful to them. So basically what ends up happening is that these pills have hormone levels that are 20 times higher than what we see on the market now. So the side effects that these women had included dizziness, cramps, vomiting. You even had three women die while they were participating in the trials. So obviously this trial was a little wild. I want to stop right here because I want to take a moment to cover eugenics, Sanger, and how that affects Planned Parenthood. So if you don't know what eugenics is, it's basically a discipline that promotes this idea of quote-unquote good breeding, and it's aimed to prevent poor breeding. So it's basically this idea that the human race could get better if we encourage people with better traits to mate, I guess. So... The traits that you're going to be looking for are going to be intelligence, hard work, cleanliness, so on and so forth. I mean, if you think about it, that's kind of like people's obsession with mixed kids. Like, oh, I want to mix babies so they could look like this, they could look like that. You trying to pick and choose what features your child has. And you can't, well, you can because of science, but realistically, naturally, you can't really do that. Like, it doesn't work that way. It's all on how your genes decide they want to move. But, you know, people just be doing stuff because they're bored. So, somebody came up with this discipline, and it was actually, like, a big thing. So, this eugenics phenomenon was basically taken to an extreme during the Holocaust. And during that time, if you're not familiar, you did have doctors who forced sterilization and actually conducted breeding experiments on those in the camps. You even had President Roosevelt express his own view. And basically he wrote something to the effect that said, birth control was criminal and it contributed to race suicide. So eugenics was popping between the 20s and the 30s. And in the 1920s, Sanger actually spoke at a conference and talked about using birth control to weed out the unfit and prevent the birth of defectives. Just to give you an idea of what type of unfitness she was talking about, 
She writes in an article in 1921, the most urgent problem today is how to limit and discourage the overfertility of the mentally and physically defective. So basically, she wanted to weed out all the people who was mentally ill and had disabilities. So some people say that Sis was focused on getting her message out. So she only joined the eugenics movement for clout so she can gain support for birth control. Because if you're telling people, look, birth control is the best way to weed out the unfit because we're just going to prevent them from breeding, but we're not going to stop them from doing or engaging in those activities. So I technically, I guess, to them, it's like a great solution. She's going to have more supporters. I mean, who, who really knows? We don't know if she did it for clout, if she really felt that way. Only she knows. I mean, you even have some people say that her main argument had nothing to do with eugenics, that it basically was more so about people having the kids that they actually wanted to have. I don't know. This is what the people saying. Fast forward a little bit. In 1928, Sanger actually goes to visit a woman's branch of the KKK in New Jersey. And she talks about it in her own autobiography that she released in 1938. So she references it as one of the weirdest lecturing experiences she's had. However, she believes she accomplished her mission and basically says that she even received more invitations to come. Now, this is a little bit confusing. And I say this because the following year, after she released her autobiography, she ends up working with NAACP founder W.E.B. Dubois on a Negro project, which was basically a method that they were using to try to get safe contraception into black communities. Now, there was a lot of criticism around the Negro project. I didn't want to get too much into it, but just know that the people wasn't happy about it. So, I don't know. <laughs> People just be doing stuff. What, what can I say? Now, 1946, you also have Sanger write about the importance of giving Negro parents a choice in how many children they wanted to have. So she specifically says, the Negro race has reached a place in its history when every possible effort should be made to have every Negro child count as a valuable contribution to the future of America. She goes on to say, Negro parents, like all parents, must create the next generation from strength, not from weakness, from hell, not from despair. Fast forward a little bit more, 1966 rolls around and Martin Luther King Jr. ends up receiving the Planned Parenthood Singer Award for his efforts in human rights. And he actually praises her contributions to the black community. So he says, there is a striking kinship between our movement and Margaret Sanger's early efforts. Margaret Sanger had to commit what was then called a crime in order to enrich humanity. And today we honor her courage and vision. So, I mean, this stuff is real hazy. We don't really know where her purest intentions were, where her true intentions were, but we see that she has support on both sides. I mean, if her sole mission was to get people access to information and birth control. Does it matter that she's visiting the KKK and black people in the community? As crazy as it sounds, why are we denying women in the KKK access to contraception? 
I mean, look, part of the dynamics of this country is that we're supposed to be all treated equally. So if her sole mission is to just promote birth control and give people access to information and access to contraceptives, I don't think it's wild for her to be visiting all these different types of people. Because if we're going to treat everybody equally or attempt to try to treat everybody equally, we cannot deny women in the KKK access to contraceptions the same way we don't want to deny access to women of color. So stepping away from that, you have the FDA actually approved the sale of pills in 1960. Keep in mind that Homegirl was all about birth control and contraceptions and access to information. She wasn't really at the forefront of the abortion movement. And some accounts even say that she was actually opposed to it at first, but she eventually ends up leading the organizations towards pushing for abortion reform. So just to give you an example, you got 1992, where you have Planned Parenthood of Southeastern Pennsylvania versus Casey. And that's when we have the whole introduction of the undue burden. This was a case that I covered in the first episode when we were talking about the cases that tried challenging Roe versus Wade. So Planned Parenthood has been big on trying to get involved with the reform of abortion and making sure that women have access to the procedure in a safe manner. So as far as Singer actually serving as president for the organization, aside from being a founder, she does so between 1952 and 1959. And as time went on, Planned Parenthood started offering more services. 1971, colposcopy services and sickle cell anemia screenings are starting to get offered. 1977, there's an establishment of a teen peer counseling group. 1987, Planned Parenthood starts offering free or low-cost HIV testing. 1989, they initiate early prenatal care services. In the 1990s, Planned Parenthood and other reproductive health experts start advocating for FDA approval of new and effective methods of birth control. So that's the birth control shot, the ring, the patch, and the implant. 1991, they actually start providing abortion services. Towards the end of the decade in 1999, the FDA actually approves Plan B, and Planned Parenthood begins to work on making Plan B widely available and educating the public about the morning after pill. To be honest with you, I didn't even really know about Plan B till I was in college. And luckily to this day, to this day, I ain't never taken no Plan B. Um, but I do know it's used very frequently. I know a lot of women who've used it. And look, I'm here for whatever you think helps. You accomplish your goal. Obviously, I'm always going to advocate for preventative measures. So if you could avoid taking a plan B from the jump, try to do that. In 2000, the new millennium, they established an outcare health center that specifically serves LGBTQ youth. And in 2005, an affiliate of Planned Parenthood starts providing hormone replacement therapy. A year later, 2006, once HPV vaccines were approved, Planned Parenthood started providing that service as well. 
Okay, so I know the more I talk about Planned Parenthood, you're probably thinking about that video that was circulating everywhere where basically they was talking about Planned Parenthood selling fetal tissue or baby parts from abortions and making money off of it, whatever, whatever. This happened in 2015 and... I guess this might be like a newsflash to some people, but medical procedures, when they're done, people do try to benefit from whatever remaining resources are available. And that usually goes to research. So fetal tissue from abortions is donated to research. Like that's not <laughs> no new news. Like what's the point of, let me not say what's the point, but I mean, if we want people to learn more about stem cells, this is part of the way to get more information about stem cells. So it's unfortunate and I hate to talk about it in such a casual manner. The reality is, is that fetal tissue is donated for research. So it is given to different institutions and there is a cost associated to getting this tissue. Now, Planned Parenthood doesn't profit from the tissue donations. Basically what they do is they say, okay, we're gonna give you this free fetal tissue so you can conduct research, but you gotta pay for the cost of shipping and handling and whatever else. So there is a monetary transaction that happens, but it's not to benefit Planned Parenthood. It's to just cover the cost of getting the fetal tissue from point A to point B. But to give you some background, the video basically comes from the Center for Medical Progress and Okay, so I'm not going to say they're bogus, but they're basically bogus. It's just some people who call themselves a center and they want to promote pro-life. That's it, basically. So they released this video and the first video that they released, they actually edited it real heavy. So they removed the instances where the director is basically saying, look, we do not profit from tissue donation. Like nobody should be selling tissue that's not what we trying to do that's not our goal so since it was heavily edited and all this stuff was taken out a lot of people really took it as being correct and basically deemed Planned Parenthood like oh devil's workshop I guess so it's important to note that even the White House Oversight Committee looked into this and they found no credible evidence that supported this claim that Planned Parenthood was profiting from the fetal donation program. So basically the only real thing about this video is the fact that the people met and had a discussion. The Center for Medical Progress was just trying to create some propaganda to promote their pro-life ideas. That's basically how they did that. <laughs> so yeah, so since this little video scandal that went viral, we haven't really heard much about Planned Parenthood aside from their continued support for abortion and access to abortion, as well as the donations they've received due to states getting real crazy and passing their bans and restrictive laws. So we might not ever know why Planned Parenthood was actually founded if there was some ulterior motive but as important as that is, we need to make sure that we're taking into account 
what the organization is doing now and asking questions having a vetting process is very very important and look we can't change history but we can change the future so on that note i'ma sign off i'll catch y'all on the next episode this is gloria and this is women's only